namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa uddang dhammang sanghang namasami dialogue about the unconditioned this morning and it's kind of has its uses and its limitations it's a, it's a big word in a way mostly you know, it's the the unbit is the <laughs> and to recognize what is conditioned anything that formed arises perceived Subtle or gross, near or far, arises, can be held, perceived, recognized, meditated upon, pondered. That's that's a condition. That's some kind of object, subtle object, internal, meditative, nimittas, signs, lights, sounds, spaces, heart objects, rapture, joy, peace. Oceanic qualities, that's a, that's a sign, that something has a sign to it. Um, all the ex- external forms. There's signlessness, animita. The liberation is signless. So there's no, no sign, characteristic object, condition, mood with that, then <laughs> how does, what is that? How does one know it? You know, is it when you, how does that happen? How is that experienced? I might say it's the, the experience of freedom from signs. Uh, begins perhaps with that kind of particular uh, experience that we often have in meditation sometimes we just pass through it quite quickly which is a sense of the, the non-attachment is definitely in line with the unconditioned you can say that the, uncon- the unconditioned is the kind of fruition of non-attachment deepening when the non- experience of non-attachment really works through the whole being both the activities that we undergo and, and the old karma, which is this bodily sense, these sense faculties that tend to hold and make us feel this is what I am. The body, the physical form, the energies of the body, um, the energies of the heart, the energies of the mind. Uh, so the, the sense of, as one cultivates, one discerns these more clearly, in, highlights these, enhances these, 
and recognizes what they are and and the sense of holding them or identifying with them or locating within them can stop because there isn't actually a location in them you might say you know it's the ending of karma old old karma which is that which we inherit the very forms the khandas the aggregates the sense bases the thing that we kind of feel ourselves to be in you know, embedded in um, good bad up down sick well happy unhappy you know this is the kind of karma we inherit isn't it we look at it physically psychologically emotionally whatever you know when actually that doesn't hold anymore that that you know it doesn't hold doesn't make you feel sad or um proud or comparative or better than or worse than or progressing or degressing that just doesn't hold there's a freedom from old karma Vipaka it's rather like you don't know it anymore I mean, it doesn't it doesn't spark anything mm. Rather like you know, you 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 come to something that had a whole flavour to it. A whole um, we recognise this in in smaller ways. You know, things that once upon a time had a whole kind of flavour, and one got excited about, or felt convinced by, and felt you know depressed by, or whatever. It's just kind of, the flavour's gone. It's just that. You, know? you can find that when you you know the forms that one finds so compulsive. You know, um, sexuality. You know, you can just see body as just there. It is. You know, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't have that kind, some kind of quality to it that that you so associate as being the thing. It's just the flavour that one's mind creates. And the, see, that that's definitely a tangible. We would say it's a sign of the signless in the, something that had a sign to it doesn't have this the sign to it. <laughs> Like somebody switched the light off, you just got the light bulb, it's not shining, it's not, it's got no flavor or color to it, it's just that. You know, and it's very practical. You see, it's not just some kind of nice idea or so what or esoteric thing, it's really, you know, pragmatic because you can begin to experience that you're not getting thrown around, you're not getting pulled in, pulled out, worrying, defending, appropriating. You know, this is kind of there's space, openness, but not space as a medium, but a sense of the diminution of pressure, the diminution of of speed and momentum, which we so often experience. A kind of you know, suddenly you feel pushed in, or revved up, or pushed back, or contracted. You know, the force of the forced momentum of car- fresh karma. This is fresh karma. You know, fresh karma means that the energy that moves towards action. And it's the energy that first of all moves towards action by empowering things. It says, well, this is really good, this is really bad, this shouldn't happen, this shouldn't be. You know, and you, boop, there it is. <laughs> you know, one is kind of empowered something yeah 
that's that's karma. That's the that's the origin of it. That's the basis of it. It starts in the heart. It's not a, it's not a physical activity. It's the the quality of the heart actually, you know, empowering things, so then they have control, and then we either fight with that, or pull into it, pull out of it, repress it, run away from it. You know, any of those actions really is still being you know on the string. You know, puppet on the string of, of, of what one is actually unconsciously, not deliberately, but, but empowered, and that—that's what—that's what asava does. It's this kind of flowing out. You know, when the quality of the heart, the richness of the heart, flows out and it sticks itself into something else. Then we're trying to find our way back to fulfilment by going out to those things that we've. We've kind of fall, given ourselves to, fallen in love with in one way or another, you know, or fallen in hate with, <laughs> and we're trying to pull it in. You know? So it's this strange kind of puppet act. You know? yeah. It's good to re- recollect, you know, whenever anything that, that uh, you know, feels good. Where, where did the feel good come from? Did it come from the, the food, the drink, you know, the climate? Well, it, it came from you, didn't it? <laughs> you know, it was triggered off by by that thing, maybe. But it, you know, this is where it came from. You know, so so, and the condition condition means that that quality of fruition becomes conditioned by. Some, some external agency, the, the, the channel is very closed, you only get a flash of it when you, when you get something that, that pushes a button somewhere, you're getting one's own way, uh, having something, you know. Obviously if there's no happiness in the condition we wouldn't bother with it at all, but there is. But the problem is it's conditioned, isn't it? It means, you know, you've got to go there and get it to have it. Uh, you've got to go to the place where it is and get it and have it. And then when you get it and have it, you've had it. And, oh. You've got to go somewhere else, something else, stick your head in something else and get it and have it again. So it gets very restless and uh, the sense of loss. Yeah. And if it's not there, one feels a sense of loss. So in very obvious terms, this is why the limitations of the conditioned and all the time, really, the sense of, of, of enjoyment, happiness, appreciation is, is, is in us, if you like, or in our own systems. So how come it's not there all the time? How come we, it can only be triggered by particular things? This is the things we need to take seriously. Because the, the uh, teaching t- towards the unconditioned is it's through, through karma, through good karma. You know, so in other words, one does get to feel comfortable and happy and at home. Mm. You've got a, a place that you live in where you feel the sense of enjoyment. You know? It's not something you, you feel bleak or lost or whatever. You're getting a sense of 
of enjoyment, but you're able to, to you know, dwell in it and make it your own. Mm. It's not continually leaking out onto, onto other circumstances. This is what being at home is about, really. And it's in a, living a homeless life. You have to, first of all, be at home, find at home, before you can leave it. Being at home, if you like, simply speaking, colloquially speaking, being at home with oneself, being at home with one's environment, being at home with one's context, so there aren't rough patches, snarly patches, angry patches, bleak patches, dull patches. You know, you, you've found a place where you're, you're feeling comfortable in your, in your context, which is much more than physical, of course. In fact, it's mostly the... Um, I would say the psychological emotional context that really is the thing that affects us when we feel a um, sense of value in ourselves, of value in what we're with. This is useful, this is purposeful, this is worthy of honour. Mm. Externally and internally, there's something here that's worthy of honour and respect. You know, internally, in, my, in myself, as it were. So then one, feel, one can settle. We're not continually seeking or feeling deflated or losing ourselves or whatever. We feel settled where we are. And then we can begin to contemplate from that settled place. The mind settles in and your, your attention begins to begin to recognize this is a mood, this is a feeling. It's like that. And it's rather like when you come into to balance, then when you're really at home, you don't have any idea about it. Mm. The sense of having to hold it or worry about it or even define it, you just feel comfortable. There's a diminution in pressure in um, having to think about, figure out, and just feel settled. Somebody was telling me this is an analogy about Alexander technique therapy, which I've done myself, which is a, a form of body work. And you also find this some body work like Feldenkrais also also does this, and various forms of subtle body work. We we actually have to. You go into kind of very simple movements, but you start to almost forget things, like the way you stand up. You kind of, we, we things, do things by reflex automatically, and you begin to check that reflex till you really feel what you're doing, and you start to do it from a kind of place of, of innocence, just feeling yourself in into what the body needs to do. So for example, in, often Alexander found that most of us um, operate from our heads. So we feel ourselves up in our heads. So when we go to stand up, basically we pull our heads up, you know, and the body kind of gets yanked up after it. <laughs> so you actually stand from your head rather than stand from the feet, which you, would you think makes sense, wouldn't it? Get your feet on the floor and then push up. 
most of us feel, oh, we come up here to our eyes, we see something we've got to go to, so we jump up through our eyes and get pulled out onto the into what we're going towards. So you actually kind of yank up. And, um, you know, so, so in a way, the body is not operated internally, really. It's, it's operated by external things, you know. You yank, pull around, or you see somewhere you want to go and you kind of rush up towards it. And so the, the, the body actually uh, doesn't, isn't balanced. And once you begin to break this habit, often just do things like standing up and sitting down. Remember, I, I did this for a while, and man would say, well, just sit in the chair, and sit there, and I what are you going to do? You, know, you can do some special exercises. Now just sit there. Now just think of standing up, and don't do it. Notice what happens when you want to stand up. So you, you know, you've got to get this. He said, no, don't, now don't do that. Yeah. And then so you check. And then you go into actually feeling in the body. And then if you like, settling deeply into the body. And then it's kind of pushing from where you need to push from, the seat and the legs. And just lifting up. And you deliberately relax your neck and head. And you do that, things like that for a while, and there are other systems, and not just that one. Your body starts to feel really light and, and effortless. You move around, and your body feels kind of effortless and light because it's in balance. And it does remind, reminds me just of how much, without any sort of deliberate thought to do so, uh, how uh, we yank ourselves around physically. You know, you hear a bell and you jump, and you see a door and you rush. You go into something, and your eyes see something, and they pull your head into it, and you're kind of throwing yourself along and jumping around. So that even when you do walking meditation, you look at the end of the path and you try to get there and you turn around and you get back again. You know, and, and how how ugly it is, you know, how kind of you know, how uncomfortable it gets. And when you can just stand where you are, internalize, and then just conceive of walking, feel what you can do and just relax bring up the intention and just find out which bit needs to move in order to bring around one footstep at a time. So, surprising thing that I found was just doing walking meditation. Actually, my walking begins not in my head or my feet, but in, in my uh, lower back. There's a kind of a pushing or a, or a certain energizing around the hips. And one, one leg takes the weight and the other leg lifts moves forward. Actually, the thing operates really from the hips. The feet just kind of are the end result, or you may get a slight push from the back foot, but that comes through almost energy running down into the back foot from the hip to push against it. So you get a sense of lift. And then when you begin to relax the upper body, the neck and the shoulders particularly, they just flow along. It feels really effortless, but even more than effortless, you feel completely present. Um, in the sense of being completely present, the whole sense of walking disappears. 
You, know, it's not, you haven't got an idea about walking. You're just in something that's, that's moving, you know, moving. You don't even have an idea about your body. You're, you're in something that has a, a lot of space in it. It's kind of loosening up these, these, these formations. You're unconditioning or deconditioning some of the, this old karma. And old karma can be just in the way that we experience our bodies mm. over, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years or so. That's a lot of time. You know, of, of, you, know you look at it in terms of moments, that's, that's a lot of time of conditioning it in one way. You know? And then, but the beauty of it is you can, almost in a moment, come out of it. What body? You get some senses and pulses, but the more balanced you get, the more the sense of the, the idea and the feeling and the tensions and the frictions and the pressures and the dullness or the, the headiness disappears. You, you're in something that's really rather different. And there's a big kind of clear space in the, in the, in the centre of it. That's what it seems experiencing although perhaps that's putting it too, too figuratively. It, the whole thing feels lighter and there's a sense of emptiness within it which allows the mental stuff to flow um, subtly and move, be sensitive and receptive. Because of that space, the space of non-attachment, which is much more than just the kind of act of the will, you know, it really is something has released then we, we're, we, something in this becomes more sensitive. Yeah. Because now we're not so dense and tight and contracted. So you, even just walking along, you can sense quite deeply into residues um, that need to be understood. So it's important to, to generate that kind of karma that kind of action, work on the action, moderate action, understand even quite simple actions. And we, in meditation, we're making these actions really quite simple. So you can just work on what happens in a breath, what happens in, a st- in walking, what happens there. What does the body, the old karma of the body, do to you? Does it make you feel stuck with it? You know, or are your energies rushing up it or... What, you know, what's happening there. And as you become more um, attuned to, to um, bringing uh, skill or, or benevolence into the body so the body feels well and rested and balanced, then um, you begin to see more clearly into fundamental residues Some of these residues are like a continual flavour or a taste of what next, what next, what next, what next, what next. Got to get on, got to get on, got to get on, got to get on. You can get that flavour. And this is the flavour of becoming. Mm. Something that's pushing on, on, on. Got to get, got to get there. Get this over with, get to the next thing. How long do I do this for till I get to the good bit? That's the flavour, and it can. That flavour is something that you can, 
you know, when you when you take time to be with, with anything, you know, you can kind of get a flavour like that. You're sitting drinking your tea and already something saying, well, we'll get this over with and get on to the next thing. Having the meal, we'll get this done and get on to the next thing. You know, go back to your cootie, well, get to my cootie and then I'll get on to the next thing. Get on the John Cron path, walking meditation. Yeah, well, I'll do a half an hour on this and I'll get to the, get on and get to the, get to the, you know, get the flavour of it. This is the flavour of becoming. Yeah. Or I've got to get out. Yeah. I've got to get out of this, getting a bit tight here. Let's get out of this, let's get out of this, let's get out of this, let's get out of the flavour of non becoming. <laughs> and these, these fundamental residues that we can find in coming up as aftertastes in many of the things that we are involved with or find ourselves dwelling in. And how this, ne- this stuff, you know, never really, it's, it can be there and it never actually gets anywhere. It's like you never actually get to the, to the good bit that you're trying to become because the flavour stays with you wherever you are. It stays there to the next bit, the next bit. It's like a continual taste. Yeah? Or got to get out, got to get out. Where's the way out? Yeah? We get this kind of thing happen, you know? Got to get out of this situation. Got to get out of that situation. Got to go away from my family. Got to go away from my job. Okay, get to the monastery. Well, this is rather nice. Then, well, I've just got to get away from, <laughs> you know, people. Okay, get away from people. No, I've just got to get away from my thoughts. Where, where are we going? Where are you going to run to eventually? You know, these t- these flavors and tastes that that come in and they can always, the mind can always find ways of, of justifying them. Mm. It's basically you set the sense of discomfort when it's never at home. And we tend to find ourselves believing in those things, that those signs that we, we colour. Something in us goes out and paints those things that tell us what we've got to become or tell us what we've got to get away from and not be. And, you know, so we, something in us creates the, the, the very strings that pull us around. This is papancha, diffusion, dispersion, projection. Uh, so this outflow, flowing out of projection is the is one way of understanding the, the, the trap of conditioning as either passive, that is we are, we, we experience ourselves in a way that is already been conditioned and as an active, that is something that tries to condition, wants to condition, wants to generate and have something, get somewhere, be something, you know, it's the active, and this is karma, old karma, new karma, Old karma, we park our result, that which we inherit, new karma, that which we create. You know. So it's that the cycle of this is the samsara. You know, and the unconditioned is the way is out of this. And in the moment of non-attachment, we get a recognition: there is, there is a possible. You know. There is a way in which that 
cycle can be broken, even if it's just like you've broken a thread of it or, or it's lapsed for a moment. So one can have genuine uh, apperceptions of the unconditioned, of a sense of, oh, it wasn't. It wasn't I wasn't being pushed, I was, I was all right, you know. And recognizing, yeah, that's, that's, that's true. So you get the sense of things that give you faith. And also, but then the recognition, well, that isn't the end of the story. It's like just because you've managed to get a, a file and, you know, file a hole through the wall that you're out of jail just because you can look through the hole. Yeah. So, you, you know, you're in jail and you manage to bore a little hole in the wall and you can look through there and think, Oh yeah, I got it. I can see it. But <laughs> it's true, you can see it, but it doesn't mean you're out of jail. Yeah. But it doesn't mean it's not nothing either. It's it's valuable. And actually, this is something that we often find ourselves getting a, a feeling for, just in the moment when you sit down, steady, and drop, come into the present moment. Drop the past, drop the future, present moment. Just oh, kind of whiff of little whisper of silence, stillness. Don't know, and then the stuff starts coming up, doesn't it? So you know, in, in meditation, we often get a, a kind of little glimpse of that taste of the freedom and it's been really the uh, you know it's that which gives us the, the, the hint the possibility and, you know practice has to be then what patiently skillfully handling that which has been conditioned the old karma generating new karma only in terms of that which helps us settle um, resolve heal um, yeah, the old karma mm. so we feel comfortable and then when the old karma is healed there's the, the, the triggering to generate new karma is, 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 uh, can be relinquished you look at that sort of process both in meditation and of course in, in in larger sense, not only because old karma, uh, you know, conditioned, has to be known. The condition is both um, internalized and externalized. We live in a we, one level we live within a physical realm, don't we? The planet. Uh, we have friends and parents. We have teachers and friends and relatives. So what is what's the karma with that? You know, is that is that clear? Is that healthy? Is that steady? Is that settled? Do we have regrets? Do we have uh, aversion? Do we have fears mm, around that? So a lot of a prep or a lot of practice on one level is just, you know, simply 
having a sense of conscience and concern for, for people and the environment which one is living within mm. to have uh, done good deeds to have um, respected one's parents honoured them felt grateful for them acknowledged mm. and to be abiding in a place where you can feel a sense of, of value and respect for the people you're living with and for yourself value and respect for yourself so it doesn't mean um, you know denying yourself and, and worshipping others you know, it's not giving yourself away that's required denying yourself and worshipping others but almost recognising that there's something that needs to be done here on the level of self and others which is not about you know, me praising you because you're better than me that kind of thing, or, 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 or whatever. But the, what's valued is this sense of hiriotapa, which means that uh, we, can, we can discern value in, in beings. We can discern any degree of value in others, in terms of their, their harmlessness, their non-violence, their degrees of generosity, of kindness, of um, blame, you know, those things, we can, we can honour those, we can see those in others. Yeah. Even if somebody's unpleasant, you know, a lot of the time, you can recognise the times they're not. <laughs> uh, uh, or at least they're trying to work with it. This is sometimes something we forget, is that people can have their difficulties, uh, be a bit tetchy or, or whatever, and you're thinking, oh, he's a real case, isn't he? Or she's really difficult, or why is he? You know, he's got to live with it. You know, that's, that's the stuff he's, he's, he's working with, you know, rather than that's what he is. So you begin to sort of understand behaviour, people's behaviours as conditioned, rather than some kind of ultimate statement of what they are. And you think, well, you know, that's, that's the hand he's dealing with. Looks a bit, got a few twos down there, you know, only jacks and aces. Um, you know, but there's a few, he's got a few trumps there. Well, let's look at that and, uh, and the sense of, of value. And in, in, so, in monastic terms, this becomes very simple because basically precepts, you know, sad people, depressed people, fumbly people keep the precepts. So, you regard that as essential thing. Uh, and then, uh, you know, have aspiration, renunciation, let go of things, try to cooperate, you know, that's something you can begin to see and, and, and honour in others. And there's often lots of, you know, confusions and pains that people are going through. And so you just value what's worthy of value. And that helps you to value yourself, because rather than looking at the kind of emotional territory that one is passing through, you get a sense of, 
you know what to look for. Mm-hmm. You see it in others. You see, if you look at, if you're judging others, the way you judge others is the way you judge yourself. So if you're judging others on their emotional characteristics or their, you know, mind states, then you judge yourself that way. And that's, uh, it gets really <laughs> difficult because this is the stuff that's conditioned. And, and uh, um, is often in, in, got intensely um, formed and deformed and uh, you need some space from that. So we use things like the, the precept form and the monastic form and something which you, you can hold to in order to get some space, some sense of distance, some sense of perspective on the inherited stuff, using convention wisely, in order to get some perspective on the moods, the emotional territory, the ups and downs, the personal characteristics. You know, so you've got to have a home you can go to. And your home, in a way, is, is the home of the precept home. It's a place you can feel comfortable. And eventually, what I find is, is I don't even think of keeping precepts. You know, I don't sit, go around thinking, oh, I've got to make sure I don't harm anything on precept, please on precept. But because it, you find the balance, and actually it's more like you would, doesn't think, you know, you don't, you don't have an inclination to, to violate or abuse, you know. So that as, you, as one settles into it, it's like, you're in it, but you're not holding it. It kind of hold, it holds you, and you can feel, and it, the violent, violent impulse comes up. You think, oh dear, and you want to move away from it. Something you retract from that. And it doesn't want it. it. Doesn't want to pick it up. It seems to be a, a sign. If you're looking for a sign of unconditioned, you can recognise that it's mo- that which does not want to pick up, hold old conditions yeah, and run new karma through them particularly on this level just in terms of unskillful ones directly unskillful ones and it becomes more refined you see the tendency even getting past the, or looking more refined level than the precept level uh, perhaps you know I don't want to be showing off I don't want to be kind of blabbing all over the place I don't want to be kind of pushing my, my presence on other people yeah. Or I don't want to be cringing and, 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 you know, the things that we can find ourselves doing, going into these, these old modes of behavior. So we start a sense of just how you share space with other people, where you're not continually kind of withdrawing into some corner of negativity, or you feel you've got to go out there and, and claim it all, and, uh, you know, lead the show, as it were. And these are these kind of energetic patterns that, that can happen for people in groups. This is, of course, you feel balanced. There's something to say, you can say it. This is quite a big area for us. Finding ourselves in order to, to let go of ourselves. So, a sense of value, valuing oneself, valuing others. You know. 
there's something that uh, is part of that is, is the quality of, of, of gratitude you know. I think so me one of the great gifts of of mendicant life is was just being receiving alms food every day, receiving shelter, receiving alms food from people who I didn't have a deal with, who weren't my friends or people I'd presented things to or won over or you know charmed or <laughs> somewhere or another. Felt you know, I deserved it. <laughs> it was just here, here, here. And so, actually, the the quality of of value. I personally didn't know how to value others or myself. And you had to compare and contrast and feel inadequate. Or criticize, you know. I knew how to go into the, you know, very easily into the into the comparative experience. Generally, you know, I wasn't quite good enough, and he was, or they were, you know, that kind of thing, or the other way around. You know, it's sort of like value coming from a, from some kind of measuring system. Who's who's got the who's got the best here? Who's the best? Who's the winner? But you know, I didn't know how to 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 feel value as, as a kind of basic quality of human beings something that, that's, that's measureless in a way I mean, it's not some people are more valuable than others but we all have value we all can tune into a place of value uh, but so it really began with, with uh, the, the immense generosity you know, which means it's not, not about because you're such a wonderful guy or because you're better than every other monk nobody gets it you know? a lot of summoners get it um, old masters get it, everybody gets it. And so, you know, that, that sense, and, and anybody can give it. Yeah. So the sense of, of round quality of generosity seemed to be really crucial for just allaying the, the personality strategies and things that, that normally we try to find value through, like win somebody over or convince somebody or prove something. It's just nice, it's all free. This is just because of the goodness of, of Sila. Because of the goodness of at least trying to keep Sila. Just because of that. But but actually when when I when when as I do every day, you know, just tune into that sense and receive it fully which is at first very difficult because I always think, oh, I'm not good enough you know, for that. I didn't deserve it, I'm not good enough for it. But then actually just, whether it was good enough or not, didn't really matter. Just the sense of, of, of there was generosity, what's that feel like? Um, for my mind, actually meant that the beginning of really valuing others and then valuing that which they were supporting, which wasn't my mind states, but the asp- the aspiration or the commitments. You know. 
So a few of them actually helped, certainly helped me to, to really focus much more fully on those things of value. The aspirations, the commitments, the perseverance, the patience, the, you know, the letting goes. All those things that actually conduce to deconditioning. And eventually even value the, uh, the tradition which in terms of cultural forms and colours is, yeah, you know, some good, some bad, some... But then, uh, you know, to actually take on Theravada, Thai Theravada Buddhism, not because I particularly like Thais or Theravada or even Buddhism. <laughs> you know, as, as a form. It's just, yeah, I could... Some forms are attractive, some are less attractive, some are more attractive, but, but to take it on because of seeing through the form, the sense of there, there's, there's a continuity here, there's a whole system here, there's people doing the best they can here, there's value being brought forth, there's generosity, there's a lot of freedoms, a lot of, of um, tolerance here. And that, 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 I can value that. And there's a lot of people making commitments and struggling and losing it and, yeah. And then from that, and I thought, well, you know, rather than it's got to be my colour, or my shape, or my way I like it, and just, you know, why does it have to be mine? I can value it for what it is, and what it offers, what it presents. So I could, for myself, a sense of, of gratitude for the tradition, even though some of the forms of tradition I don't particularly like but I can appreciate the opportunity that these forms present for the practice and see the value of them and as a shared thing that everybody's letting go of a bit everybody's letting, no, nobody's getting it all their own way you know everybody's letting go of a bit everybody's letting go of, it gets the, everybody starts letting go a lot to be with it, it's uh, you know if you hold the the veneer and the training and the and the lay people and the fellow summers, you hold all of those and you value all of that. You recognise the value in all of that. Then the main you letting go of a lot of yourself, and that's uh, of the intensity, the importance, the want to become, the want to get to, the why bother with this, and I don't like that. You you can feel all that emptying out. And that, to me, is, is the real um, heart of the practice. It's, it's aimed at cessation, not at not filling up, but of letting go. So I've felt, although interesting enough, I, as I've probably said, you know, before I didn't have a big idea about being a monk. Like if somebody had even told me six months earlier, I'd have thought they wanted their bumps read. Then I found that within about uh, a week or so of being in a monastery, suddenly, well, I could do this for a while. Just because one started to feel the value, the cheerfulness, the generosity, the freedom of it. There's there's value there. And you start to feel this kind of at-home feeling because there's value. 
and it, it values and you, feel, you start to begin the possibility of feeling value rather than trying to find it or get it or have it to be in a values, value system so and then that's kept me going actually for 30 years, nearly 30 years of that and um, picking it up you know when I first went there they said oh you don't have to be a Buddhist even just do some practice um, but then because of that then one feels the value of that and then well, you learn the chanting um, pick up forms of it because it's a way of expressing appreciation And that's uh, from gratitude. <clears throat> and even teaching, you know, that would nobody taught me, where would I be? Um, so whether you're good at it, not good at it, feel a bit awkward or whatever, you know, you know, well I and say something, you know, just out of a sense of, you know, throw out a line. Somebody, somebody might need a line, just throw out a line, somebody can grab hold of, because that, that seems to be like, like when you get the feeling of, of gratitude, you want to help, you want to give the value, present it. But it doesn't, you know, it's different from when you when you should or you ought to or by now you got to or you you don't do this to fit in. It, it's not coming from that place. It's coming from a place of 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 um, more deeply embedding, making oneself at home in a context, in a situation of aspiration and struggle and people helping and needing help. You know, what do you do? You tune into that. What do you do? You just find yourself moved rather than taking a position or or ignoring it. But if it's cultivated skillfully, the sense is of nearly not doing very much. Just, just like breathing in and out, it's just well, you do that, but you don't feel you've got to, you should do. You don't get the comparative sense of are you good at it, not good at it, <laughs> you know, or all those kind of things. The the lighter it, the, the more you practice with it, less the lighter it gets. Partly because in any activity, whether it's uh, whether you're reflecting on it, preparing for it, or doing it, whether it's just physical work, doing the cooking doing the washing up, giving the talk, you can feel those residues when you contemplate the sense of you should, you shouldn't, what are you going to do, why, you know, uh, get it over with, get on, why bother, all those kinds of things. The point is I'm doing it to get through this stuff. (laughs) You know, you've got to almost enter the territory in order to recognise the residues that are there. You don't you know, find somewhere, well, I, I don't want to touch this stuff, go somewhere else, because they stay with you. You enter that, you pick up that, in order to witness all those things of 
self-consciousness, nervousness, frustration, wanting, not wanting, wanting to get out, wanting, you know, this is what I, this is what I want to be. You know, just find a way to, within this to let go of those. This is cultivation. And actually, um, the way it seems to work is that through generating a, a good karma, you feel a sense of being in something that makes you feel light, less oppressive, uh, less driven, uh, forced, or held back. And so things start to happen quite naturally. It's almost like the, the good karma itself does the work for you. sense of gratitude, the sense of conscience and concern, the sense of kindness and compassion, that, that's what does the work and you just follow it often we find that when we are in meditation we begin to do the work of, of sustaining attention actually holding attention through a whole span in a, a very conscious way around things like breathing walking sweeping the body using a mantra so you actually can deepen your widen your, your attention span both in terms of, of application you know sustaining that and also in terms of receiving like deepening your, your listening quality so you see, normally, of course, our attention moves out. We reach out to something, we think of something, we bring something to mind, and we get a little bit of a feeling what that's about, and then we move on to the next thing. You know, you pick up, oh, that's one of those, right, got it, what next? You know, maybe you see something on television, it's just three seconds, bop, got it, next, 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 next. And you get little hits, hmm, um, which are, which are, micro flashes and uh, particularly in television and media those micro flashes are quite tangy and spicy but very brief so you get the kind of sensationalist hit the flash you know the, the buzz the urgency the drama the terror the excitement flash 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 and you just kind of roll along this stuff and you don't have to attend very deeply in fact if you attend it deeply you, you miss it if you really kind of sit there and, and focus on it, what's happening, it's actually rather shallow, unpleasant, just, just, just feels like jangle. So I find it actually very difficult to, eat, to watch television or even videos because I just sort of just see these flashing lights on the screen. Oh, God. I'd like to just look at the look at the screen with the picture turned off. <laughs> More peaceful that way. I don't like having my attention thrown around, uh, and particularly, you know, sort of seduced by by uh, images and flashing lights. I think it just feels like like you know um, being operated by things, something else. 
So the, the medit- more you more you practice with meditation, you're learning to just to almost incline your attention onto an object and stay with it, you know, deepen into it, and then holding that, and then actually deepening your listening to it, you're receiving it. So these are two two functions. Sati is the ability to to focus and and place attention on an object. Mindfulness is called bringing something to mind, lifting it into the mind, and then sustaining it. And sampajanya, or clear comprehension, or full awareness, means fully receiving and sensitizing to that. So, for example, very standard meditation theme, breathing in, breathing out. Holding your attention onto an out-breath as it begins, and trying to just continue being with that flow of sensations, have your experience breathing out and then sensing it more fully you know, the energies of that, the flow of it the warmth, the pressures of that until it's finished and then waiting, holding your attention onto the, onto the place where the breath stops feeling that out the openness, the emptiness and then within that certain tension building up and then letting go and then feeling the in-breath so, um, you know, that, that you, that's a kind of micro bit of meditation, isn't it? And we recognize that probably uh, for an uncultivated mind, we might get to the beginning of the in-breath or the beginning of the out-breath, a little bit of recognizing you're breathing out and then off, you know, because the attention has not been trained. It, it jumps off to something else. And uh, uh, so most of our, a lot of our practice is trying to find some sense of um, value in in something like breathing out, you know, so that you're 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 following the breath, not from you should, you've got to, you you will do this. If you do this properly, you'll get somewhere else, which is a very unpleasant kind of compulsion into deepening the quality of sampajanya and receptivity, you think, oh, this is rather nice. This is uh, like this is a subtle form of pleasure, but also this is deepening me. This is um, opening, this is something that's quietening or calming. So you, you have to receive the qualities of, subtle qualities of, of uh, comfort till you feel at home with that. It's rather like, you know, making anything at home. You know, you, you, when you, you when you brought when you brought the cat here, for example, you can't just get the cat, throw it in the door, and say that's it. You know, you you you're at home now. You put it somewhere it feels safe, and let it come out in its own place and find its home. So when you find yourself in 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 medita- in the breathing or in meditation, you recognise you, you can't just say, well, go and do it. You are now at home. You've got to let the mind move around and wander and stay until it finds itself settling within that. So, and if we don't have a a sense of value for our minds or our attention, then you can't, it doesn't happen. Because my mind is so, my mind wanders, my mind is pathetic, my mind is greedy, my mind is lustful, my mind, you know, you're always attaching to the behaviours of the mind and complaining about it. And this is rather like the same thing we do for other people, isn't it? 
rather than, yeah? So when we think or imagine the mind is the behaviors of it, you know, one, it's, not, it's not its true value. So one of the conditioning forces is, of course, that we, we do put a lot of emphasis on, uh, on the conditions of the mind. You know, whether you've got bright thought, whether you've got brilliant ideas, whether your mind, you know, whether your thinking mind is agile, competent, skillful, quick, able to come up with interesting, convincing arguments and topics, or not. If you're not, well, that's not so good, is it? A bit dim, slow, fuzzy, foggy. Or we might find ourselves valuing joyful, cheerful, bright, witty, humorous, warm. Yeah, that's what I like to be. I don't want to be kind of moody, murky, confused, depressed, irritable. I don't want to be kind of bright, comfortable, convenient, cheerful, charismatic. Yeah, that sounds the right one. Yeah. So, you know, when you give value to, to, to um, states of mind, then we don't value what's most valuable. Mm. Attached to conditions. So, so this becomes, of course, very much the case in, in meditation. Because when you're starting to unhook and sustain attention, yeah, all the different colors of the mind come up. All the different colors. And what probably comes up is the stuff that uh, we find difficult, the residues, the impatience, the feeling can't make it, the, oh, it feels too tight, let me out of here, this, you know, or I've got to make this work, get on with it, you know, you find these, these kind of residues come up. So then, you know, the important thing is to value this breathing or walking or standing very much filling one's attention with it rather than seeing as an end to something you just get curious how does it actually work stop stop breathing you know stop walking and just see how the next one happens rather than seeing something you, you get a subtle feeling you've got to do it how does, where does it begin? How do you know you're doing it? Do, are you doing it? You know? So we can sometimes come from meditation, for example, a very common thing is, well, focus on the breathing and, and the end of your nose. So immediately, you know, you've got, you haven't come to it from the place of, of um, real openness to that. You've already decided what breathing is. It's something that happens on the end of your nose or at the end of your nose. So, yeah, nose, yeah, good. There's all sorts of bits of the body that feel breathing. Mm. But if we, rather than feel we've got to do it or make it, you recognize the body breathes. How does it do it? You, in other words, you just give yourself over to, to, the, to the body, to the breathing of the body. Mm. 
It's rather like when you approach uh, Buddhism from a conceptual point of view. Every mo- every monastery you go to is it's not doing it properly. <laughs> when you approach it from a pragmatic point of view, like well, here I am. How, how does it work? Oh, I see. It's like this and like that. You know, you you you, you find it, and you leave Buddhism behind. You leave the ideas behind and you find yourself at home and balanced in it. Similarly, when you really practice mindfulness breathing, you leave, you leave breathing behind. You leave the ideas behind. You leave meditation out of it. Yeah. You don't want to mess up your breathing with meditating on it. <laughs> that's, in my mind, that's always a kind of route to disaster when I start meditating on my breathing. Because I meditation is where I concentrate, I focus on one point in never wavering attention, and all that stuff, immediately all my compulsions start messing the process up. So in order to be mindful of breathing, I've got to stop being mindful of breathing. And then it you know, then you find Oh yeah, there's this sort of flow and pressure and, and sensation. Oh, this is mindfulness of breathing. <laughs> but I'm not doing it anymore. Yeah. So even within a condition, there can be the sense of you using something to decondition in a very important way. That the way of self-view, the way of should shouldn't, the way of better worse, the way of success and failure, the way of I am or I'm not. You know, those are the really powerful conditioning forces. And it only just happens, doesn't it? when there's value for body, embodiment, and then value for mind. And you experience mind not as the mind states, because if you sustain attention, you recognize, which one's my mind? Is it the happy? Is it the inspired? Is it the foolish? Is it the wandering? Is it the sad? Is it the, which one's my The only one, the only thing that you could really say as a continual theme is, Something receives all of this, doesn't it? All of this I'm somehow aware of. If I'm going to say my mind is anything, it's going to be that, that which receives thoughts, moods, impressions, feelings. Because otherwise I've got a different mind every instant. And all of them are, you know, they're in conflict with each other. So when you really value mind, it's like valuing that receptivity. This is what we call citta. And it has no particular form. No particular colour. It's not happy or sad. It's listening. Awareness. So you, you, you begin to see that. You know, is that what one values most fully? Because that's the continuing um, and something when you become when you recognize that, when you begin to attune to that, you feel at home. Oh, I can I can be with that. I can't be happy all the time. I can't be bright all the time. But all the time, actually, I do know it. I do recognize it. 
I don't always fully make that fully conscious, but something is receiving that. You know, that. And with that, one gets a sense of this is both precious, it's nameless, has no character or form. It's, it's, the, it's the precious heart of life. You know, when this is something that's present for all of us, it's valuable. It means one's grateful for that. And you feel a sense of this is something to be cared for, protected. Don't beat this up. You know. Don't contract it. Don't grab hold of it. Clean it. You know. Value it. Honor it. So that these uh, the jitta can come out of these uh, uh, impulses, tendencies, latent tendencies to want to have and hold or, or affirm or deny, get away, disappear. Mm-hmm. So this is, comes from good karma, the good karma of meditation, of listening, of attending, of bearing with, of penetrating through the forms, steadying the forms, not, you know, because a lot of the problem with meditation is, is we don't actually, um, our mind jumps, or the mental states jump and flow and run. So you don't actually notice almost the, the um, simplest continual instruction for, for mindfulness. Notice the moments when the, the mind state ends, the last one ends, particularly when they're big surging ones, you know. The, the fairly easy ones, the big, big lumpy mind state moves through, you know, anger or tension or something. Just notice when it ends. Not to make any statement, just so you're bringing your attention to the place where the mind state dissolves or collapses or fades. And then, what's that? And notice when something coming up, where does it arise from? This is to get perspective and also deepen into the the quality of awareness itself rather than the, the, the mind states that, that uh, adhere to that. So something like, practice like that for myself encourages to meditate, not because I uh, am trying to get something or have something or feel I should, but whatever I do, mind states will keep arising and passing. So why don't I just, and if I find some value in bearing with that, staying with that, rather than, you know, because it's happening, And it, it needs to, you know, you just find the, pl- the place where you, you, you feel at home with that. 
And that to me is, is touching into the, the pure awareness, place of purity. It's the simple receptivity and knowing of that which arises and ceases. So there are you know, ways in which good karma leads to the end of it. Uh, the sense of, of receiving benefits, responding in accordance with sense of gratitude, conscious concern, value. Yeah. And then taking that process, settling into a situation, um, seeing the value in a situation, settling into one's body, seeing the value in that, settling into one's walking, standing, sitting, breathing, sensing the meaning of that, settling into the mind, seeing the value and the meaning of that. Mm. When one is at home, the forms begin to soften and evaporate. And though our aim is is that um, signlessness, formlessness, cessation, you know, when you review the process, that would not be appreciated if there were not the formed, the conditioned, if there were not the good karma and the holding to forms and conditions, the fully giving to forms and conditions, then there would not be that, that way to the unconditioned. So that the, the two are not in contradiction. It's not like the condition is something you, you dismiss or think irrelevant or it's only this or it's only chittas, it's only Buddhism, it's only, you know, not really the real thing. You know, because if you have that attitude, then you're not, one isn't holding it skillfully and properly. And then you don't find the value. And then there's, there's not that proper settling in to the to the, to the penetration of forms and conditions. Anyone? Andamayangamakataya sadhu karaya